Nonprofits. I'm your host, Dennis Lubay, the rude one, along with Matt Dillahunty, in charge of driving people off, and Russell Glasser, who's here to ridicule their silly beliefs. Wah, wah, wah. Along with Schilling, who's here to do what only Schilling can. Despite the odds of losing potential allies, we're coming to you live from the Dillahunty International Studios in Austin, Texas, on Saturday, the 20th of November, 2010. And the music you heard was Brian Steeksma's I Am the Satellite. This show is sponsored by the Atheist Community of Austin, a dickish organization dedicated to the promotion of positive atheism, the separation of church and state, and the alienation of religious moderates everywhere. For more information about how the ACA is just as dogmatic as the religious fundamentalists, you can call their voicemail at 512-371-2911, or visit the ACA website at www.atheist-community.org. The nonprofits broadcasts live every Saturday from 2 to 3.30 Central Time, regardless of the protestations of people who think we're mean. You can participate in the show and tell us how unskeptical we are by joining the chat room. Just follow the directions at www.nonprofitsradio.com. So sit back, relax, and find out how faith is not compatible with science in any way whatsoever. Woot. The thing is, while that was a good welcome back, Dennis, <laughs> intro, um, holy crap. You're like right on the money. Am I? <laughs> Am I? Uh, is this working okay? Is this on? Yes. Okay. Um, the one that's not on right now. All right. Is shillings. Looks like we have to actually go get a new mic, a fourth mic for this Um because even when his mic's turned off, the cable on it just sits there and pops, 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 ah, pops. So he's just going to signal and we'll turn him on. That and I'll just make a habit out of stealing Russell's mic. Yeah, that works God too. damn it. You guys can sit over there and fight. Over. Actually, that would probably be better because then we won't have any popping at all. So if you can work that out, that's great. So it's been two weeks. We're still, not, we're still not moved up to a weekly schedule, so we're going to do the 90-minute show, if not longer, because it's... There's evidently a ton of stuff to talk about. Um, well, yeah, there's backlog. Of <laughs> yeah, uh, there's <laughs> that's the least of it. There's two whole debates to talk about, and there'd oh, actually man. be a third and maybe a fourth if I'd have gotten time to actually watch them. But um, Schilling actually went to the debate with um, Hitchens versus Dembski, and then I did my debate on Tuesday, which is now posted online, and there's oodles and gobs of news items so somebody pick where we're going to start i think i think shilling should start with yeah, the, the hitchens yeah. debate because that's bring it Sean. we didn't get to go it it was a bloodbath like you could not believe um and, and as i've said several times dembski is a shitty intellectual but as bad as he is at that he is phenomenally worse at debating <laughs> um the topic of the debate was uh, does a good God exist? And at no point during the hours did he ever even attempt a single 
positive argument for the existence of God. That's not a good place for Dembski to be in because he's made an entire career out of not talking about God. Well, the thing is, is yeah. didn't isn't Dembski the one who came out recently from the Discovery Institute? Yes. As, yeah, and uh, so it was. He was in an odd position. We knew it all along. Of trying to ingratiate himself to the young Earth creationists without sacrificing what I think he believes is his integrity. Uh, and he utterly failed to do that. He, uh, his opening remarks were along the lines of, he, well, he, he did say that all atheists must believe in evolution and that you cannot have atheism without belief in evolution. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, he just went on to point out what he felt were weaknesses in evolution that were, you know, the eye. Uh, you know, just trite shit that we've seen time and time again. I think we should start, like, pointing to Dembski as a weakness in evolution. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, and and that's that that was the entirety of his opening argument. Like, he didn't even wrap it back up with, so if atheists have to believe in evolution and evolution is false, then God exists. He didn't even do that much. And is good. Yeah. And didn't he... <laughs> uh, he just, he, part of it was, you know, it was held at uh, Prestonwood Christian Academy, Mm-hmm. Uh, by the Biblical Worldview Institute or something along those lines. And uh, wow. there was a live webcast, and the archive video will be up Monday at uh, pcawebcast.com, I believe is the URL. Uh, and it's, it's, it's worth watching because Dembski, uh, granted, he doesn't do much debate. Right. Uh, but even as a novice, he... He just screws the pooch left and right. You get to watch Hitchens mop a floor. And Hitchens is Hitchens. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, and I will say for those who are interested, he looks really good. Full color. If you had just heard the debate and not noticed that he was bald now, you would never know a difference between Hitchens now and Hitchens before chemo. Wow. Um, cool. He's, he's in great shape and just sodomized Dembski <laughs> and it because it was at, at Christian Worldview Academy or Christian, Prestonwood Christian Academy rather um, I'd say that there was an audience of between one and two thousand but I, I'm Damn. I'm shit at estimating Sweet. audiences but it was mm-hmm. a very large building and pretty full and I'd say 80 to 90 percent Christian um, right. They bust in Christians from jun- Christian junior high schools and Christian high schools. And uh, so, so needless to say, a lot of them just claim victory as they would no matter what. But you could see a fair number of them that were visibly shaken. Wow. And Hitchens, it, while he was Hitchens in full form, he did a few things to tailor it to the fact that it's a young audience of uh-huh. teenagers. And his closing remarks, uh, you know, if you don't have much time, just check load the video out. and check yeah. out his closing remarks because it it is more humanistic than Hitchens usually gets. And, wow. you know, when he wants to be, he can be quite the humanist. Um, but his recommendation of, of unshackling one's humanity from religion is outstanding. Cool. Uh, and compared to, to Francis Collins' closing remarks, which were <laughs> – he, he closed by mentioning that Hitchens likes to attack Mother Teresa and that he read a book by a woman who worked with Mother Teresa and she said that she was a good woman, so there. And then he, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and then he gives this quote from Mother Teresa that's fairly fatuous. You know, it, it's sure, not sure. even a meaningful quote from her in as much as she ever had one. Uh, and immediately after he says, well, I took a rhetoric class in high school, so I remember you need to end strong. So I'm just going to stop here with that quote from Mother Teresa. Uh, wow. If you're going to end on, you know, a weak-ass quote and consider that strong, right. you don't fucking explain it after the fact <laughs> And leave it with, I took a rhetoric class in high school. Uh That's not a good closing statement. (laughs) I have a dream, and I took a rhetoric course and decided that I should end on a positive note like that one. (laughs) That's right. The thing is, you don't end meta. The only reason you ever go meta is if you're looking for sympathy or laughs. And uh, you don't end on either of those things. (laughs) That's what I learned in my rhetoric class. (laughs) Well, I... No, I, th- there were several points where Hitchens ended on both. Hmm. Uh, his his sense of humor was spot on cool. in a way that was that was occasionally um, a bit polemic, but most of the time it was just affable and and very pleasant. And uh, what was amusing is, for the most part, they got along a bit because Dembski was was playing the butt sniffer debate tactic which is is very common and you'll see that in the debate with Matt at least at the you know first half. Yeah. Now, uh, what I don't understand is how why they ship in a bunch of high school Christians because it's like right. if you want to insulate your kids from new ideas don't send them to a debate. Well, <laughs> any no. debate, but fucking Hitchens? They think they think that they are going their kids are going to be going there to get an education and how to challenge like the best atheist right. positions because Dembski is revered. Yeah. They have no they think, idea. They think Dembski's gonna mop the floor with Hitchens. Which is how they ended up walking out thinking I mean, they Hitchens is easily my favorite atheist uh-huh. writer uh, by far. I don't know that he's the best. Uh but I, I'm, I, I will assert, I think he is the best orator and best debater. Oh, yeah. And I, this isn't about atheism. I think he is probably one of, if not the best orator of our fucking time. Um, the man's use Possible. of language is incredible. And it, uh, there was one instance where he got kind of snippy in a very amusing way. Um, because right after the Q&A, which lasted for one question... Um, maybe two. Uh, they they were getting ready for closing arguments, and so he, he introduced Hitchens for the closing argument. And Hitchens said, "Well, no, no, I, I said everything, and I said it well, and I was right. I summation is just superfluous. I'd rather have another question." <laughs> uh, and so then they they asked Dembski if he'd be okay with it. Well, no, I pre-wrote my closing, and it's kind of a zinger. Which keep in mind, this was the I took a rhetoric class. As kind ending. of a zinger. Yeah. Uh, so he got to give his closing, and then Hitchens got the last word after that because uh, they didn't want to do another question. So if they you, give Hitchens the last word, which is not wow. – if you're setting it up as Christians, you don't, you don't want to do that. Um, if you want people to think you're clever, don't tell them you're clever. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, my God. Very few people can pull that off. Woody Allen can pull it off. Yeah, yeah. William Dembski – Cannot. Not so much. Uh, but, the, yeah, it's it's a debate well worth watching because Hitchens, you don't get much new out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's one of those things every debate he does is worth watching because he has his typical material. 
and his usual statements that you hear, but the finesse with which he tailors that to what his opponent has said, that he draws from any argument they can make, he can draw it to the point that he wants to make and do so in such an efficient way. It's just, it is beautiful listening to that man speak. And with Dembski, it's the kind of thing where Dembski makes such an ass out of himself <laughs> so often and so repeatedly. Which seems to be a trend. Yeah, that Hitchens doesn't really have to go full teeth. If he right. holds back a little bit, that's more effective. And that's, that's essentially what he did. He doesn't, you know, you won't see him enraged for the most part. Oh, yeah. Uh, his When he gets really passionate uh, is in his closing remarks about humanism and how much better off these kids will be if they let loose from well he, he does a really good job of basically uh comparing god to both a slave master and kim jong-il because Dembski brings up kim jong-il uh as uh oh an, atheistic an escape god. tactic well not quite he, he says well you know when you when you listen to christopher hitchens debate when someone brings up anything that he doesn't like he just tries to draw it back to religion and he tries to br draw it back to something and when you bring up something good about religion he just tries to change the subject you know you'll talk about all the good that's in religion and he'll say well uh, kim jong-il kim 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 and Dembski does a really poor job of this he repeats kim <laughs> many times God. trying to come up with a tie but he doesn't so he's basically saying you know well hitchens knows a lot of history and he knows a lot of current events so he'll use that to distract you from the fact that he doesn't have an answer and hitchens turn on that he does this beautiful construction of god and then he says essentially you know well god is kim jong-il it's not the Kim Jong Il is God. <laughs> That's right. It is a totalitarian regime. It is just as atrocious, if not more. Any it. I mean, right? Have you ever watched a guy fire, especially with like a thirty-eight or something that that's been poorly cut, and it just sort of blows up in his hand, and it hurts a bit, <laughs> but more than the sting of pain, you can see just the sheer embarrassment. Right. That is what Dembski's reaction is, and I hope, Ooh. I hope that there was a camera on him at the time because it was just beautiful when you know his his fucking trump card right is used to slit his own throat. You gave me a beautiful comparison, thank you. <laughs> I will disagree on one point, and, and that is that, that that all of Hitchens' debates are worth watching. That during the period where he was on his little book tour and was debating like in a show circus with um, uh, Al Sharpton, where it was like the same debate over and over again. I don't think all of the – most of them were worth watching. I don't think all of them were worth watching. They were a little too friendly a couple times. Well, when I say it's worth watching all of his debates, I would yeah. count those as one, one debate. Yeah, one debate. You know, it's – if you're making the same speech, you know, when, when yeah. they do – when Richard Dawkins just does a lecture – if you've heard his God Delusion lecture, yeah. you've heard it. It yeah. is one lecture. So I would consider that to be one debate. Well, I I got yeah, back. I mean, it's, it's a comedy routine, basically. Yeah. I mean, all stand-ups do that thing but where they just tweak Your it turn. a little bit. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, Shilling emailed me the other day, and he was like, is there a nonprofit Saturday? Because I'm going to this you know debate and would like to come down and talk to it and uh, talk about it. And I was like, hell yeah, and hell yeah. Actually, I just said yes and yes, or maybe I think, but uh, yeah, 
always good to have you back in the room, especially when you have a report on something we missed that was big. Well, thanks, and I, I was hoping, because I, I mentioned that before I went to the debate, I was hoping that there'd be a lot to talk about, but it was Dembski is so poor that, you know, I, I highly recommend watching it because it is outstanding, but there's no commentary you can make on it. It's sort of, you know, if Lennox Lewis were to box Dakota Fanning, Wow. Like all you need is a description. <laughs> Watching it is really fun, but if you if you watch it and try to explain to someone who hasn't seen it, you're not going to get better than Lennox Lewis fighting Dakota Fanning. It's it, there was nothing impressive about it. What was but it can still be entertaining. Though, yes, um, the the school. Anytime you go to, especially in the Dallas area, there's a particular level and and type of conservative Christianity in the Dallas area that is trying so hard to be appealing to everybody and be welcoming to everybody while condemning them. Um, (laughs) You know, it's sort of the, and, and, uh, well, Father Jacobsi, who you debated recently, and we'll get to that, and uh, Dembski, they both keep trying to play this card. Well, my opponent and a lot of atheists are really good people, but your ideology leads to atrocity, and you are a repugnant piece of shit. But I really like you. You know, it's it's that type of thing, no yeah. matter where you go. And just being in this church, there was tons of that. And when the debate was supposed to start, they started with you know worship and some praise songs oh, and it's your usual Baptist you know kind of weirdness where it's a bunch of songs that people are half singing. And you're not sure if they were written by Christians or written by Poe's. Just the, the mm-hmm. level of double entendre in most of those songs. And <laughs> Onward, the, Christians. The creepy older. fucking Stepford approach that people have to it. And uh, it, it, needless to say, I, I, I made some friends with the head of security and a few other people. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, but we it, can't take you anywhere. Yeah, it, it was it was pretty amusing. Uh, Aaron Raw was there. Um, I didn't speak to him much. Uh, Aaron Raw, sorry. Um, and I, I, I don't know him. Like, we've not really been formally introduced, but we talked about it a little bit. Uh, and I assume... That maybe once the video's up, he'll probably do something on it. But his his statements after the fact were pretty spot on. And I wish I I'd have known this. Expect to see something really good from Aaron Raw. I, I wish I'd have known this because I I've rapidly come to count Aaron among my friends, um, and it was great. They were down here. We went to dinner, and you know we've had a chance to talk a number of times. I wish I'd have known because we could have just had him call in. He would have been happy to call in, I'm sure. And you know you guys could have. Yeah, um, traded information it was, about it. Hell, I found out about the debate. I think the day before, maybe two days before, just by happenstance. Yeah, um, somebody it, sent me a note about it, but there's no way I, I could go. And there was like, a bunch of other stuff that I couldn't go to because I'm Aaron run Ra- out of vacation I, days. I'm not. I don't do much with YouTube. I don't really care about most YouTube atheists. You know, if someone sends me a link to, I, I think there's there's one bloke. Uh, non-stamp collector or something who does pretty clever things yeah. uh mm-hmm. and i've seen a couple of of, of Aaron's videos before but after he was on the show um and after the debate when i had some time to kill i watched some of his videos and and he's it he does the type of youtube atheism 
and the type of, of activism that is interesting to an atheist, which is yeah. a big point for me. Because most, you know, most of them, like Pat Condell, occasionally has really good points, but there's not much value in me watching it because I know those points. It's I make. because Aaron is, is educational right, and informational and not just ranty and agreeing with the things that we are right and and that's what i love most like uh tracy harris is probably my favorite person to watch on the show because when she does something it is something that is that i've never thought of before like uh, a couple years ago she did an episode on uh, potential atheistic or or skeptical undertones in that batman begins flick which yeah you know i i I thought it was a shitty movie. I didn't. <laughs> Big surprise there. Yeah. I just, I'd written it off, but her explanation was just outstanding. And when she does the show, uh, she does a great job of making it really interesting to an atheist who is familiar with the arguments. And R and Raw's videos are like that. I just watched one they did very recently on felines and the, the evolutionary uh, track that felines have been on and where different differentiations occurred. And yep. it's, his stuff is just outstanding. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm actually I've been in, in, incredibly lucky um getting involved with the ACA and you know and doing the things that we're doing um because the people that are on the show, the people that are on this show and some of my friends outside the show are amongst the absolute pinnacle of what I want to see and and th- people who challenge me on different things or and view things from a different angle that uh you know it's like the, this past week, I didn't really get challenged like I thought I was going to be. Um, <laughs> you mentioned the change in kind of tone or impression of the people who were there at that debate. You mean kind of like saying, I don't I don't blame this perfectly nice guy who's on stage with me for Nazism and all the evil in the universe. Yes. Just atheism in general. Just, just the, just, But his beliefs will necessarily eventually lead there. Well, I will say living in the Dallas area, it, it doesn't make an immediate uh, uh, parallel to the phrase, I'm not a racist, but. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, you are a racist, but. (laughs) Shut up. Yeah, and at least embrace it. But that's very much the the tone that a lot of the recent debates have had. And with the Dembski debate, even, and this this one was I, and and when Matt talks about his recent debate, you'll, you'll hear more of the same thing. But this tone of, well, you're fine. And it's this undertone of basically you're one of the good ones, but the atheists in general. But you still agree with your God? I'm going to go to hell. <laughs> yeah. When Dembski at one point, you know, when Hitchens was just slamming him on infinite punishment and slavery mm-hmm. and all the brutality in the Bible and the condone of rape and the condone of of all sorts of atrocity, uh, his response was, "Well, yeah, hell, I'm I'm not comfortable with it." Um, there, there's some things in the Old Testament that I don't like, and he never, he never adequately qualified that. It was mm-hmm. he just stumbled. Yeah, wow. you know, uh, along those lines, a thing that I am hearing a lot in not only debates, uh, most debates that I listen to now, it seems like, uh, but also like, you know, calls to the show and personal discussions with non-atheists, they all assume that you're going to agree that uh we should be you know atheists are okay but don't be like those new atheists (laughs) which 
which kind of pisses me off because yeah. if there are atheists that I would like to be more like in some ways, they are uh, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, uh, uh, Christopher Hitchens. I mean, exact. They they never voice exactly what their problem is with the new atheists that they think I'm not being like. But it's but it's like uh, you know if I'm not being enough like the new atheists you hate, tell me what I can do more. Yeah, and we're actually going to mm-hmm. get to that um, in a little bit. When it's it's just a really prevalent tactic right now of it's not you, it is everybody else who is wow. in the same category as you. Yep, and. I mean, watching Jacobsi pull that with Matt mealy mouth was, you know, I mean, it's bullshit. But when he's talking to Matt, you can kind of see because Matt's fairly gracious and affable and likable. Uh, But if you're going to pull that in the debate, you don't pull it with fucking Christopher Hitchens, who, granted, I mean, yeah, he wasn't he wasn't going out of his way to be polemic in the debate. But if there is a label like if there is a poster child for the polemic nature of contemporary atheism, Hitchens is the top fucking front runner, yes. and so you don't get to pull that. Well, you're okay, but these other guys are dicks. Yeah, you, you don't you That's don't right. do that to Hitchens. Yeah, well, if you do, you just kind of look silly. So, and we'll we'll get to that a little bit because there's some new Skepticon three is going on right now and there's some uh a little miniature shit storm uh, uh that has brewed and been i guess fa- flames fanned and then shot down but since we're on the subject of debates um and you mentioned how kind of their their responses and attitude changed from the before and after i uh on tuesday by the way eight of the nine parts of the debate including the q a have been posted. I think the ninth one, if it hasn't been posted already, it should be posted very soon. I've only seen up through five so far. Oh, well, I then have you have some constructive feedback you, on yeah, the parts I, I've seen so I far. I through eight. And you can't hear you. I watched through eight. And, you know, when uh, almost any debate I watch, except those with, with Hitchens, because, I, I mean, if I ever, mm-hmm. if I ever had any semblance of androsexuality, <laughs> It would be a man crush on Christopher Hitchens. We just can we can tell for the way he can use his words. But outside of that, you know, anytime you watch a debate, especially with a theist, um, most of the complaints that I find with with intelligent people, like your debate with Father Jacobsi, uh, is it, it comes down to just personal preference and arbitrary shit. Like they throw out so many things that you can only choose a couple of things to, to really yeah. you know really nail in and you know naturally i would choose slightly different things than matt would choose than dennis would choose etc mm. uh, so that's where most of the uh, uh, you know disagreement comes from as far as how a debate is handled it just comes down to you know you've got 50 things that are fucking stupid which five do you yeah, choose yeah you got to pick one yeah. okay so, like I said, eight eight at least of the nine portions of the debate have been posted. If you want to, you can go to atheistexperience.blogspot.com, and Martin uh, or Russell or somebody in, it was Martin, I think. Um, has been posting them up there all in the same thread along with comments. And um, there's a lot of things that I want to say about this debate, and, and so I'll do it in chunks. And the first one relates to something Schilling said before. I showed up there... Um, and was immediately greeted 
by the Orthodox Christian Fellowship guys. Um, it was the OCF, the Orthodox Christian Fellowship, and the Secular Student Alliance at University of Maryland, Baltimore County, UMBC, who put this on. And I was immediately greeted by the OCF guys, and they came up, and they were all thrilled that I was there and pleased to meet me and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we're hoping that we have, you know, an interesting and respectful debate, you know, um, and and really kind of get to this subject. And the subject of the debate was listed as the source of human morality, but I pointed out that it's just the source of morality, that when you put the human label on it, you've you've already sunk into moral relativism. That's not only unnecessary, but in my view, wrong. Um, <clears throat> when the debate was over, when the Q&A session had finished, I was uh, pulled aside. Well, not pulled aside. I was um, <laughs> uh, first I was mobbed by some of the atheist people in the audience. By the way, there's about 375 to 400 or so in the audience. Um, and I don't know what their beliefs were, but I got the impression at the end that it was an overwhelming majority of atheists or at least people who thought the father did not uh, represent his arguments well. Uh-huh. Um, I got, you know, people came up to good job, get, you know, a handshake or sign my Bible or whatever. And then the OCF guys came up to me. Now, what was supposed to happen was after the debate was over, we were supposed to go to another room and have a panel discussion that consisted of um, myself, John Shook, Gregory S. Paul, and uh, Roger, or Robert, uh, I forgot his last name. He's a, a professor there at UMBC. Um, and I had really enjoyed meeting all those guys and spending uh, time with them. Psychology professor, right? Right. Mm. right. Um, yeah. And so we were supposed to go do that, and that room was full of, like, I don't know, maybe 60 atheists who were waiting for this panel discussion. Meanwhile, I'm being, you know, um, constantly held up and walking the 50 feet by the OCF guys, whose attitude, one of them just wanted to have a big conversation because he thought it was um, over the top and unfair of me to chastise the father uh, for his closing remarks. Um which we'll get to. Well, but uh, well, Russell Dennis, have you guys seen to as far as his closing no, remarks? No, no, no. The father pulls the most outstanding intellectual conniption imaginable. Well, I mean, I saw the part where the father, or, or uh, yeah, I think I saw up to the Q and A period, which is where the father starts turning on like you know, Chautauqua tent mode and going, but you must know that atheism leads to Nazis. And yes. is that what we're talking about? Yes. Yes, I have seen that. Yeah, but you didn't see my response to him. And somebody, one of those guys said that I was... You're oh, an asshole? Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, no, very restrained of you then. I thought my response was measured and um, just it was a further way of demonstrating that he lost in a huge way. But... They came up to me to talk to me about this. And some of the people from the OCF were clearly disappointed at what had gone on. Good. And and others were, and when I say visibly shaken, I don't mean in in a simplistic way. There were at least two individuals who were physically shaking out of the extreme irritation and frustration and cognitive dissonance going on. One of them followed us into the panel room and wanted to, because Father Jacobs, he brought up porn, 
uh-huh. and how we're all addicted to porn. And I don't even know what relevant that had to the source of morality. Um, well, I, I did appreciate that he brought up porn and Dostoevsky as mutually exclusive interests. Well, and I guarantee you 95 to 99% of the people who read Dostoevsky enjoy porn well he made a really stupid point in that thing which is if you spend a week watching porn you're going to be a different person than if you spend a week reading Dostoevsky and I wanted to immediately say yes and if I spend a week playing video games or dancing around or picking my nose I'm going to be a different person at the end of the week no matter what I've done well, to be fair most of us really only look at porn about 70 seconds at a time <laughs> so in any case um, the guy followed us in there to Actually, just, Al Franken said the average in hotel movie goes off after t- like 12 minutes. Sorry, yeah. go on. So this guy follows us into the panel discussion um, to do pretty much nothing but rail against, continue this thing against porn. I don't know what it is with Orthodox <laughs> people Weird. in porn, but I think they need to start watching some because uh, the the frustration from their anti-porn stance literally had this guy physically shaking in outrage that we couldn't just accept that not only was porn wrong which i don't um but that this led to some kind of serious moral decline and he was making this you know there's a there's a fire burning in each one of us and you can become addicted and it just destroys you and all this other stuff the other individual from the ocf who was shaken afterwards um gregory was talking about his research that was referenced in sam harris's book um, linking, it's kind of a, a follow-up, broader study linking um, religiosity versus uh, societal health. And he was talking about his actual data. Mm-hmm. And this other person, you could just watch him decay into this quivering, angry mass because he would not accept the scientific data that was presented right he would not accept the results his bias was in a different direction and what he said was um no um the the historical evidence proves you wrong and i know someone who was forced to become an atheist by atheists and then walked out of the room oh i see by evidence you meant anecdote wow uh, not, I guess that's historical in the sense that it happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, as a quick aside, uh, on the if you go to the uh, Atheist Experience blog and watch the videos, if you follow those to YouTube, um, they're being put up by the Orthodox Christian group. Yes. Um, and the panel discussion afterwards is being put up by the SSA. Yes. Uh, but the, the fellow who's putting it up on YouTube... Uh, has said that that as soon as they get that up, he is going to link to it. And so far, at least in terms of of handling comments and things like that, uh, I'm pretty sure that as soon as SSA gets it up, he will provide a link to it. And uh, from what what editing he's done to the debate, it's more than fair. It's, you know, he he edited out a couple of just side jokes and things like that. Yeah. uh, it's it's pretty well done, and they're getting it up as quick as they can. Nine, I imagine, will be up before the end of today. Yeah, and um, yeah, the OCF guys are are posting the debate stuff, and they're doing a good job, and 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 I'm grateful for it. Um, it was of of course my first big debate, and uh, I learned a lot. Number one is uh, at least in this case. I overprepared and overstressed about this <laughs> because for what actually happened, um, I could have sat around watching porn for two months <laughs> and showed up with no sleep 
and still outperformed what happened on the other side. Wow. Well, um, I will say that that the over-preparation didn't show, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Um, it, it You came across as very natural and not not overly prepared, but not unprepared. Well, yeah. Like, when I, when I say prepared. Your responses came off as knowledgeable responses and not sound bites that yes. you'd come up with. Um, and at the beginning, Jacobsi had that as well. And at some points, you could tell that he was throwing in things that he'd written beforehand. But I will say that the biggest contrast between your debate and the Hitchens-Zemsky debate is that Jacobsi is a shitty intellectual, but he is a very good speaker from that. Like, when you're looking for flaws, you can find plenty, but his his style of rhetoric is it's engaging. really well honed. It makes it sound good. It, yeah. it, is, it is engaging, if vapid. Yeah, if you aren't looking for flaws, <laughs> he sounds outstanding. The level of manipulation that he has throughout, and I don't mean manipulation in necessarily a negative sense here, um, but the when you watch it, watch how he uses articles, when he uses A and when he uses B, when he talks about mm. Matt and when he talks about the atheist and the way he manages to hold completely opposed opinions, or at least state opinions that are mutually exclusive of each other, but uses language in such a way that you only recognize it when you're actually paying a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. He does an outstanding job of, of making his bullshit as pretty as possible. So when I talk about spending a lot of time doing preparation, um, I, I hate reading things and being read to, and I don't want to sound like I'm reading. What what I ended up doing is anytime Beth and I drove anywhere, um, she would pull out a notepad, and we would just talk. Give me your most difficult questions about morality, and I would just put down you know like four or five words. I don't need a whole sentence because the thought is there, and this is just there as a reminder. And then as I went through and wrote the introduction, um, and uh, only a small piece of the clothing closing was actually pre-written. Um, I, I pulled from those things and because we'd had so much back and forth and because I've been, you know, on the five years on the show and what, four years on this show, um, having discussions about this, I, I have a good understanding of at least what I think. And as long as I'm there to be honest and represent what I actually think, it's a piece of cake. Right. Um, the, we met, I met Father Jacobsi just before, like five or 10 minutes before we went up on stage and we chatted for a few minutes and he asked a few questions and asked a little bit about my background and we had a, a brief discussion about whether or not I just had rejected the wrong God um, or rebelled, sorry, rebelled against rebelled. the wrong wow. God or the wrong idea of God or whatever. And I had been uh, told by somebody that, uh, well, I've been told by one of the organizers of the event that not only was he a fan of the transcendental argument uh, the existence of God, uh, not in its formal form, but in a, you know, you can't have logic and reason and blah, blah, blah without oh God. Right. Uh, but also that he had spent over the last week in these why I'm not an atheist talks that the OCF had put on, basically just tying uh, materialism, philosophical materialism to eugenics and Nazis and gulags and all this God. other stuff. Damn. And I said, well, 
Um, I sincerely, you know, this was before the debate. I said, I, I hope he doesn't go there because, first of all, he'll end up losing horribly and looking like an ass. Um, but I'm actually interested in talking about the source of morality. Let's let's f- figure out exactly how we go about developing a moral system and not just making bald assertions about what somebody thinks the consequences may be of a particular philosophical view. And he and I spoke for a couple minutes before the debate, and he's of the opinion that we're in a post-Christian, post-polemic world, and he has no interest in polemics. So we were like, hey, yeah, let's let's actually have a real you know, discussion about this and avoid uh, polemics. Um, what does that mean, post-Christian? I mean, he. I mean, we're in a society that is the vast majority of it is Christian. Okay, Here, self-identified. Here's what, I, here's what I learned about orthodoxy. Uh huh. I don't know what the hell they are. <laughs> Still, I have a little book that says this is what orthodox believe. Um, yeah. He's not a. He's not a creationist. He's not a biblical literalist. Uh, he is. It is like this very liberal Christian theology that is dependent on tradition, uh, a heritage passed down from the church fathers, and and I don't even want to describe it further because it's so absolutely baffling to me. Okay. Because simultaneously, he is an incredible bigot. Yeah. Uh, in a different discussion that I listened to, uh, I listened to, listened to him like for like three and a half hours before I got there. Um, he was explaining why women can't be priests in the Orthodox Church. And I kid you not, his answer is that when they're performing the sacraments and holding up the chalice and saying, this is my body, take of it and eat, the men are so base that they would just be sitting out there going, whose body are you talking about? That's his reason. Even Ann Whittacombe, who is, anyone who's familiar with Ann Whittacombe, I mean, she's repugnant scum. Even her answer is more reasonable than that. Yeah, that's not a reason that women can't be priests. That's a reason that men can't go to church. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> but I will say, I, I've I've met a few people who claim orthodoxy, and near as I can tell, that well, there are obviously several different types of orthodoxy. Sure. But I've spoken with a few Greek Orthodox priests from Russia, and it is just bizarre. Like, with... with uh, liberal Christianity in the U.S. It's this thing of, of they don't really know anything and they don't claim much knowledge and they're accepting of a lot and they're not sure of what they accept and what they don't. And <laughs> there are all these gray areas. And with the Greek Orthodoxy, or at least the, the few I've spoken to that are Greek Orthodox priests from Russia, it's liberal in the sense that they cast a wide net. They're not literalists. They're uh, pretty accepting of a lot of things, but there are definite ends. You know, if you're gay, that's cool. If you're gay and you sleep with a guy who you're not living with in a committed relationship, you're going to hell. Like, there's this weird border that's similar to what we find in fundamentalism, but it's just, it's so much wider, but the border is very stark, and, you know, like, they're, they're generally pro-sex, they're not like the Catholic Church, where it's this fear of sex. Well, they they enjoy sex, but something like pornography or prostitution we're, or anything we're, like we're that. Way, they... We're way sidetracked at this point, because oh, none of that yeah. really aligns with what I've seen him claim that he believes. Um, so in any case, the only things that I found that he was certain of 
um, were that God was real and that he'd had an experience with the living Christ, and that atheism is necessarily a philosophical proposition derived directly from materialism, and it is uh, indistinct. It is a requirement of totalitarianism and necessarily leads to eugenics, gulags, and Nazis. Wow. Those are the only things that he was sure about throughout the entire debate. And every one of his points, by the way, he started off at the very beginning when you watch his opening um, saying, we're here tonight to talk about this and 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 this. And none of them were the source of morality. And that's when I knew that we were going to talk past each other for the next hour. Now, uh, can I throw out one of the debate notes <laughs> that I'd like to bring up in a second? OK, so um Along the preparation, the big thing that I learned, because I sat down after my introduction to listen to his, and I immediately tried to take notes because I knew I was going to have to respond to what he was right. saying. And I thought, okay, um, just listen to him, pay attention to what he's saying, think about it, and and write down um, the things that you think are, are, are the wrong or unfounded assertions um, and ad- address them. Well, I couldn't write fast enough. Right, right. And I realized this quickly, so I missed part of his opening because I was trying to write and listen. And I said, okay, just latch on to the things that are most glaringly wrong and try to hit the ones that are easiest to defend, easiest to challenge without giving some long philosophical explanation because I had five minutes total right. to respond to him. So um, the rest of it, I'll let people watch the debate, but for people who have feedback, go right ahead. Okay, so... Um, you were right that he spent an awful lot of his time like just saying that atheists can't possibly account for morality. Uh, in fact, what I noticed when watching both of your openings uh, was was a little bit frustrating to me, which was that um, both of you seem to have not uh, gone for a positive case from the start, but instead, uh, like I remember your opening had a lot of, well, when I talk about this... Um, then I get these kind of responses, so let me preemptively head them off, which would be great in an hour-long lecture. Uh, but when I know you have an hour-long lecture, and it's excellent, but if you're going to trim it down to 10 minutes, then um, and, and especially if you're going to be talking first, then it might be useful to stake out your position more than try to preemptively defend from what he's saying. See what I'm saying? Yes. And I'll, I'll respectfully disagree, although I'll agree. Okay. It was really hard to get that first 10 minutes. I'm sure it was. The reason that I did what I did, which was listing those two objections, is specifically because the responses to those demonstrate the case for secular morality. This assertion that you cannot have a morality without an external uh, authority is not a problem and it's not a problem that's solved by religion. Now, I think what you're saying is that it would have been better if I had started off by saying, this is how you can build a secular morality, beginning with these well, things. Well, a short version, like two minutes on that. Yeah. And my plan was, um, because because the way the inter- I my plan was this, do, do this 10-minute introduction, list a preemptively list and respond to an objection in an attempt to make sure that I wasn't playing defense for the rest of the night, that I could go back and say, I've already answered this, and I want to talk about how we can build on the the things that we agree on. The curious thing for me 
is that he agreed. He flatly said atheists can come to correct moral positions from right. a secular perspective with no religious nothing wow but all of his but then he also said that you can't have creativity without god and then when challenged on it went back and said well of course atheists can be creative and it's because (laughs) it's because this it's because of this his position which i hit at the beginning is this one of the two just unproven presuppositions one is that there is a god and that two is that this god is perfectly moral his position is this there can only be creativity because a God exists and makes us creative. And, of course, atheists right. and Christians can be creative. And this creativity is proof that there's a God. Because they're both created by the God. Every yeah. one totally of his circular. arguments is circular. In fact, Everyone. at one point in the debate, he actually said, this is my presupposition. He actually came out and say that, yeah. said that, which... Um, you know, if if pointed to in the right way, is pretty much just saying, this guy has no argument. This guy just wants you to assume that he's right so that he doesn't have to bother making a case. So, yeah, I think I could have spent more time. I think, I think you're right that I could have uh, I could have spent a little more time in the intro kind of distilling a positive. Um, this is how you construct a morality. Um Part of it was the the kind of preemptive plan thing that I was talking about. The other part of it was that we were supposed to be talking about the source of morality, not how to construct a morality, not can there be a morality. I mean, the debate topic was the source, which he never went near. No, other than didn't. to just flatly assert right. God is the source. And it's uh, and it's actually kind of a good opportunity when he says something like, I don't take the Bible literally uh, to say, then then uh, clearly we've answered the question of this debate. It's not the Bible, or at least one part of the debate. Well, yeah, but he would have agreed from the outset that it wasn't and, the Bible. Well, there's that. His position is that morality comes from God, and the fact that there's morality proves that there's a God. It really <laughs> See, I, is. I get Russell's point, and wow. I disagree slightly. Um, when your opening remarks started, I kind of groaned because it did feel like you were going on the defensive. But I think that it was short enough in a way that basically taking that defensive stance to begin with very efficiently set up what you needed to set up in a way that a purely positive argument would not have in that time frame. Because you're basically setting up uh, the argument that there can be secular morality. Yeah. And to set up that possibility with a purely positive stance would have taken the entire 10 minutes, whereas taking what seemed like a defensive stance for you know two minutes at the beginning, uh, that had it already out of the way, and you could really address the meat. So I, I think there's a. I think I there's started some... off with a similar reaction to Russell, but I, I, it, you changed my mind by just how efficiently it was used, and that it ended up being a positive argument. Okay, I think there's there's probably. Um, look, I wrote the introduction in the hotel room <laughs> three hours before this. I basically had written it five or six times and hated it. Could not distill this. 45 to 60 minute lecture on the spirit of secular morality to 10 minutes. Sure. And right. so I wrote it, you know, I got up three 30 in the morning and that was what I day. figured. I mean, that is pretty much what I figured the problem was having heard your very excellent longer lecture that it's going to be hard to find the points that are most worth making in 10 minutes. Yeah. And the longer lecture has been going through changes, um, mm-hmm. as I kind of refine things. And I think in the future in, in debates, um, uh, well, the, the thing is I learned a lot about, from this debate, uh, most of it had to do with how I go about things, um, and not so much about 
the actual process of debating because as far as I could tell, um, he never made any case and ended up agreeing. It's of course you guys can right. be more. Of course you can you can create a secular moral system that leads to correct solutions. And and at one point I asked him if that's the case. Then by what right do you add on, glom on this idea of God as a necessity? And then how do you say that, that you can do this? And then say, in your closing, and this is the part that I didn't, didn't hit as hard because I had to get him for the other thing, was secularism necessarily. I mean, it, watch when he comes on for his clothing, closing. It's like a different guy steps up on stage uh, and he gives this doomsday sky is falling prediction of how if you have a secular morality you will necessarily lead to gulags and it was just nuts when that's one thing that was interesting was when he granted that atheists can be moral and can find morality he frequently couched that in because they're products of a christian society yeah so anything that is to secularism's benefit is a direct result of god yeah. Because of the society. It was but the win when he talked about, you know, atrocity in the name of atheism, which historically, I mean, this is where you can tell he fucking lied. Because several times throughout yeah. the debate, Hitler. he displays a pretty solid uh, uh, indication that he has studied history. Like, mm-hmm. he knows some solid history. So it's not a matter of being wrong. It is a matter of lying. When he says that eugenics comes from Darwin... He knows he is lying. He knows that it came from Herb Spencer. He knows that it came from the Juke study. He knows all these things. But when he says atheist morality comes because it's in a Christian society, he does no effort to reconcile that with atheist, allegedly, atrocity also coming from that same Christian society. So basically, he he sets it up where he's in a no-lose position. When secularism gets it right, it is because of God. When secularism gets it wrong, it is because of no God. And he sets up that you end up with this huge disparity. And that is probably his biggest failing is not even attempting to address that disparity in any way. So, so let me kind of wrap this up because we've got a ton of news that I want to get to. And I don't want to sp- spend all this talking about me and my debate thing. Um, quickly, I, I had a great time. Um, it was a, an exhausting time uh-huh. i got up at 3 sure. 3 30 in the morning had to fly all the way out there rewrote my intro or my opening um then went to dinner real quick then went and did a, the debate started just slightly after seven and ran till like nine fifteen, and then we started the panel discussion around nine forty-five or 10 or so and that went till about midnight and then went back to the hotel and had to get up the next morning fly back Barely got a little bit of rest, and then had to go down to UT to speak uh, to a class Yikes. at UT the next at eight o'clock the next morning. Um, so I was I was beat and drained, and yet I loved every second of it. So I want to thank both the OCF and the Secular Student Alliance at UMBC for setting this up because there's been a lot of talk about well, Matt when you're going to do a debate, and we've had problems finding somebody to debate. Um, we did it. I even want to thank Father Jacobsy, despite what he did at the end. Um, <laughs> And and despite the fact that I, I think we didn't actually or he didn't actually put forth a case, um, you know, there was a there there were good elements to that. And I enjoyed my time. Um, the the debates available, almost the whole debate and most of the questions available, uh, both at the blog. You can go around YouTube and find it. Um, and I'm interested in, you know, feedback and things like that. Um, the book giveaway thing. Um, I 
I, I only got a couple of questions in email. And so I'm going to have to go back and look at those and see which one was the best and then contact that person to give them the copy of Sam Harris's book. Nah. Um, but <sighs> yes, I'll do more debates. I'll, I, I do one tomorrow. Um, there are things I do diff- I would do differently and it'll be interesting to get I'm, most of the, most of the feedback's been positive and most of the feedback uh-huh. when I was there was positive. Um, and I appreciate the positive feedback. I really do. Um, but I get often more out of, like Russell's comment earlier, even though I don't completely agree with it, I definitely see where he's coming from, and that will give me ideas to fine-tune things in the mm-hmm. future. Um, now, that doesn't mean everybody needs to come attack me either. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, while well, I'm not too fragile, you know. Dog pile on Dillahunty. So. Uh, I know you're eager to get new- to news, but I would like to mention real quick what sure. I was doing this last weekend. Please, because that was one of the news items. Well, it was uh, kind of news, old oh, news. okay. <laughs> uh, I was in Seattle ha- uh, visiting my dad. Uh, and I got to hang out with the Ask an Atheist guys, cool. who are a very cool bunch of people. Um, they uh, they uh, they started doing the show after being big fans of Atheist Experience, which I love. I mean, uh, you know, we could get all competitive with them and and uh, <laughs> you know say, start comparing the differences with our shows. But frankly, I mean, I think our main role is meme spreading. Right. Uh, and they're really the second public access cable TV call-in atheist show uh, that uh, uh, that I've heard about. Um, and uh, they, they did a really good job. You can kind of tell that they have a harder time getting calls being a new show and being based in Seattle, which is pretty liberal, because when mm-hmm. they do get a call, they immediately drop what they're doing <laughs> and say, <laughs> oh, my gosh, a call. we got to get to it. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they get more leeway to do what we used to do more of, which is topics. And we did a lot of stuff on Ghost Hunters, which was, uh, you know, oh, wow. which was fertile soil for making fun of them. Oh, yes. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they have a very well-populated group. And um, so you can go check that out at askanatheist.tv. It's, uh, it's mm. up on the web now. Yeah, um, one, one of them came down for the back cruise and, and I, I saw the first episode and it's it's all right. I I do condescendingly refer to them as the also rans. But <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, it's it is it is a good show. And I I just say that to be a dick. But uh, <laughs> I think if you if you go back and watch some of the early efforts from each of oh, us, no, no, it's no, the yeah, barely it's, crawled. We do atheists yeah. are nothing if not dickish. Comfortably uh, they, they seem to be doing a very good job. Well they've won more awards than we have. Ooh. They yeah, but, uh, won four. This is awesome because I'm I'm so happy to see this happening. I mean, we got an award this year from the Chronicle. They won four uh, Scan Awards, um, which are the uh, public access awards in in their area. So cool. Uh, and by the way, I am told by Casey, who is the director, uh, he called me after the show. Uh, to let me know that even though uh, Scan Studios was apparently shutting down, it's it's temporary. I think they're being reopened under some, uh, or or else there's going to be another cable access studio or something. Uh, so they're not going to be an internet only show. Yeah, and for for Casey and the other guys, there was supposed to be this challenge, and and I don't know if we were going to end up doing it for charity or not, where we played like. Street Fighter Two Turbo on the Xbox <laughs> and this, and then, um, and 
I suck with it. I used to be pretty good with, like, the SNES controller, but the 360 controller, I just, and my timing and all these years later, I can't quite get it right. And I haven't had time to actually play and practice. Uh, it may happen. For all the geeks out there, I'm hoping that we actually get a little... If you're going to do a charity playoff thing, don't use fucking Street Fighter. Go with, like, Britney's dance beat. Oh, use, my gosh. No, that's the thing is, with Street Fighter, there, there are so many competitions you can watch. Find something truly atrocious with high comedic value, which I assure you, as an owner of Britney's dance beat, it does have. Um, I think that's a better way to play it, is go with something completely absurd. There are two new dance games coming out for the Kinect, and Beth has already told me that we'll be getting a Kinect for Christmas so that we can play those. So who knows? Maybe I'll add the new dance game for the Kinect there, and so we can actually have video of... Why would anybody want to watch that? that Nobody wants nice to. Just... I have watched people play that, and it, it is. Um, while I have no gaming interest in it, it's like it's built for humiliating anybody who's playing. <laughs> Old it. fat guys like there me. There is no way to do this shit and look like a competent adult. <laughs> Well, I have to get it then. All right, Casey, the gauntlet's been thrown down. We're going to do some connect dancing, I think. Uh, breaking news, part nine of your debate is on YouTube now. Outstanding. So I'm done Ooh. with that, except for the panel discussion, which is being posted as well. All right, let's get to, let's get to a bunch of other news. Um, Westboro Baptist Church. Let's do something kind of fun and, oh, yeah. and, and bitchy. Um, Westboro Baptist Church gets tire slashed and locals refuse to perform repairs. Um, it's... I don't know that we need to say much more about what actually happened than that. Somebody slashed their tires, and when they went to somebody to get it repaired, he refused to do the work. Discuss. Well, they, as they have a habit of doing, put me in the position of having to defend them, because yep. whoever refused to do it is fucking wrong. He is in violation of law, in violation of ethics, in violation of basic fucking decency. I don't know that he's for sure in violation yeah, of law. I'm not so sure about no. that part. No, we it, reserve it the right clear. to refuse service to anyone. There's yeah, limits. Yeah, people have that sign, but that doesn't mean shit. It is a place of public accommodation, which means you cannot discriminate on basis of ideology. Yeah. It is no different than if you went as an atheist to fucking Whataburger. Which well, what at can least you here, discriminate on like the basis of? If you went of? to Chick-fil-A with an atheist t-shirt and they said... Oh, sorry, you don't get any chicken today because we're owned by Christians. Yeah. You would have a lawsuit on your hands, and mm -hmm. this is no different than that. that. That sign doesn't really carry much weight. Oh, okay. It's true in the sense that if somebody's being disruptive or, you know, is particularly smelly and offensive to other customers or whatever, that, whatever it is, there are, there are things that they can do to use that sign to convince people to leave. Well, I will say, because this, uh, I won't bring it up too much. Uh, because I'm, I'm doing some things about it. Um, this has happened with me a lot because I do have Tourette's. And people don't understand that you can privately own a business, but that doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you want. If it is a place of public accommodation, and if, for example, you are a Christian school and you let me buy a ticket to enter, it is a place of public accommodation. You have to comply with law. Right. You have to comply with the ADA. You have to comply with the the uh, uh, ah, shit, I forget Civil Rights Act. 
You have to comply with all of these statutes. So you cannot discriminate based on race. You cannot discriminate based on gender. You cannot discriminate based on religion. So this guy who refused to do service, while I commiserate to a certain extent, and maybe for him, like, maybe it's worth it to break the law because he might have some repercussions, but maybe doing this and giving a good fuck you to the Phelpses, which they kind of deserve, will bring him enough business to offset that. And I, I hope that's the case. But as far as what he did, he's in the fucking wrong. Yes. And, uh, given that this is pretty much what the Phelpses do for a living, isn't it pretty much inevitable that we're going to see a lawsuit if one is possible? Yeah, it, 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 if one is possible, we may well see one. Setting aside the legality of this, though, the guy who slashed their tires or the oh, that's girl wrong. who slashed their tires, whoever slashed their tires, the people, whatever, um, they were wrong. And my thing is that while I can I can empathize with the store owner a little bit in the sense that the Phelps has come rolling in to my automotive shop and want their tires replaced. I know that if I replace their tires, I'm helping them go out and do other things that I actually despise. There would be a part of me that would be, I don't want to do that for you guys. Sorry. Oh, we're out of the tires that you need type thing. But in actuality, after giving it more than a moment's thought, I would, I would do it. I would take their money and I would let them know exactly where that money is going. That's a good one. Yeah. Hookers and cocaine. No, uh, I, I would let them know exactly that it's going to support atheist endeavors um, and leave it at that. Uh, well, if we're done with Good that, solution. having brought up the Tourette's, I, I did want to mention something because I, I, I did end up in a lengthy discussion recently um, with uh, I'm on an email list for some Tourette's group mm-hmm. that I, I went to check out, see if there were medical resources. But the, the problem is, as an adult there's very little. It's mostly right. parents of children with it. Um, and that's the thing is, is they're almost across the board, your you're very typical average parents who have a child who has this disease and there is this desperation. And I have seen it preyed upon time and time again. The, uh, the TSA group here in Austin, when I still lived here, had a representative from fucking biofeedback come and try to tell them with all this pseudoscientific jargon right. that biofeedback can help when biofeedback doesn't fucking work. It has some credence with migraines. It doesn't do shit for real disorders. And so there's one thing I've noticed is these parents, they're just your average people in desperation. Right. And they are perfect fucking prey. Yeah, they're targets. And somebody sent out an email talking about the wonderful effects that she's had for her son through Dianetics. Oh, Needless to say, that was a very long exchange. But it, yeah. I, I, once I move back, because they, they do lectures like every month, and I'm going to make a point of, of trying to find somebody who can explain the basics of what to look for in science. And I, it made me realize that that is it's something I always look for. Because as as someone with an affliction, that's a big deal to me. I need to know when I'm looking at shit, what is good research, what isn't. Because this biofeedback, right. they touted 14 studies, and I found a meta-study, and I read all 14 studies. Of the 14, seven of them had no control groups. Five of wow. them had a sample size of less than 20. When you... 
like there are these basics of methodology, and I don't think that the skeptic community is doing enough. Now, granted, there's a lot of ground to cover, but I'd like to see more done as far as very, very rudimentary understanding of this is what to look for in a study. Right. When someone tells you they have a cure, when someone tells you they have a treatment, you need to look for this type of sample size, this type of methodology. You need a control group. And Double blind. Really, really basic science that – now, it could be because I'm, I'm, I tend to be focused on higher things because I, I feel like I have a decent grasp of methodology, but I don't see much of any – popular effort you know there's there's no like christopher hitchens of this is what a poll should be oh yeah you know yeah no one understands standard deviation things like that but just some sort of hint so i'd, I'd really like to see some good effort in that area yeah I have to see it in movies or something maybe so wow i just realized there's only like 20 minutes left. We may end up going a little bit long. We can go, we can go over. There's a limit to how long I can go because I have other things for today. Um, a The 26-year-old son of a Muslim scholar was leading a double life. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Walid Hussain was secretly posting anti-religion rants on the Internet during his free time, and they arranged a sting to catch him on Facebook and track him down with Facebook. And now he faces a potential life prison sentence on heresy charges for insulting the divine essence. And many in the conservative Muslim town say he should be killed for renouncing Islam. And even family members say he should say remain behind bars for life. He should be burned to death, said Abdul Latif Dahoud, a 35-year-old Kalkilia resident. The execution take, should take place in public to be an example to others. Religion no wonder peace. Christians have fatwa envy. Uh, you know, you you always hear, like, when P.Z. Myers is desecrating a cracker, they go, well, you wouldn't dare say that about Islam. Right. And, uh, you know, the response is always, what, you jealous? Well, yeah. here, here's, the, here's the thing, like, twofold here. Um, Ray Comfort has made that, that claim before, that uh -huh. we're afraid to go after Muslims. So now that people are going we'll after, go Muslims, after Muslims, well, n n now that he's seen atheists go after Muslims, he can play in a new post. Begging us to not go after Muslims because it's too dangerous. No. Yeah. He bought into this mosque at Ground Zero bullshit. Well, man, someone needs to point him to his previous post. Yeah. Well, I will say that, that one of the things that's similar to that is um, the reason, you know, I, I will challenge a Muslim with, with perhaps more zeal than I will challenge a Christian because <laughs> Christians are just, they're so ubiquitous. But what I find, and this is what I think affects a lot of religious criticism in the West, when I end up in an argument with a Muslim, it's fun for both of us. <laughs> it's cool. Uh, huh. Because they are a Muslim in the West, they are such a minority that they're, they're just interested in the discussion. Whereas with a Christian, because it's so ingrained into this society, you're not just disagreeing with one position of theirs. It is an affront to everything they know. How can you right. be an American? You know, all of this bullshit that's associated with. Whereas when you argue with a religious minority, like a Muslim or a Jew or a Buddhist, um, they tend to get it. Like they they're used to people disagreeing with them, and it's no shit off them. Hmm. You know, they will they will go at it. And when I when I have argue with Muslims. I will say I've 
It is, I've never argued with a Muslim in person where it has not been fun for both of us. It gets heated. We both get it. Whereas I've never argued with a Muslim and I can't say this for Christianity. Certainly. Uh, I've never argued with a Muslim and had a death threat. I've never had a death threat, but the encounters via email exchange that I've had with Muslims are not quite as fun as you describe, maybe because we attract from the atheist experience some of the most big ignorant uh, Muslims out there. So I had one come in once and try to challenge me on Google Chat where I didn't really want to talk uh, with Pascal's wager. And, I mean, you know, it was every bit as dumb as any conversation I've had with a Christian apologist, except that for fun, rather than just, like, blocking him right away, which I thought about doing, I wondered what it would be like to try to to turn around Pascal's wager and try to convert him to Christianity. <laughs> well, I, I will say there's, I mean, a big part of that is just being on the Internet. That's true. You, you will get death threats oh, yeah. for your opinion it's an, it's anonymous on fucking Twilight or whatever the, you know, the new thing yeah. is. You will get death threats on that. But in person, I've – well, I mean part of it is that I'm me. I get death threats. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, damn near. Which uh, reminds me of heard- something I want to talk about that I heard that I don't know if you want to talk about here or not. I don't want to talk about that on the show, yeah. but we will talk about it afterwards. Yeah, I was surprised you didn't mention it before. And let's yeah. not later, later be on with this. Going back to this this thing about Islam, um, uh, I have disagreed with Sam Harris numerous times on this show in little ways. By and large, we were on a sure, similar sure. page. And reading his uh, new book, The Moral Landscape, which I highly recommend over and over again and even mentioned a couple times during the debate. Um, and, and I'm starting to, because I've talked about morality for so long, um, Sam's given me better language with which to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I was, uh, the nebulous idea that I hadn't put an, a label to is well-being. The analogy that works best when talking about this that actually connects with people is the idea of health. In, in that same context. But when we're talking about Islam, um, I think Sam has gone a little bit further than I would on a number of occasions, uh, but I have a hard time disagreeing with him. And when I have conversations with, with Muslims, like we did during the panel discussion, there's a Muslim girl that we have a number of conversations with, and she was great, and I loved her, and I thanked her for coming, and I'm gl- glad we had those conversations. But I'm not sufficiently well-versed to be able to go after Islam in the same way that I am Christianity. Sam made a comment on MSNBC. Uh, I don't know if it's specifically related to this young man who's uh, got a death threat or not, but I thought it was brilliant, and I wanted to just read it for those people who had missed it. It's pretty short. There's no version of Islam which says you should be free to criticize the Quran. It's just the product of human minds. The prophet Muhammad was a man like any other and can be criticized. There's no reformed Judaism version of Islam, and we have to encourage one. It's not an accident that we're not having this conversation about the Amish or Quakers or Jains or even Buddhists. Ideas have consequences, and the idea that you can get to paradise by dying in defense of the faith, in fact, dying in defense of the faith, is the best thing that can possibly happen to you. That is a mainstream idea in Islam. I I love the comment because... Yeah. It gets to the heart of this. We don't have these conversations about other religions, so there's clearly something very wrong with Islam. And yet Islam seems to be of two or three faces. Oh, yeah. And it's there are some who would 
say that Islam is actually of one face, but you don't get to see that face, for example, in the UK or the United States where they're extreme minority and hold no power. You only get to see the true face of Islam in uh, an Islamic regime as you have, you know, in the Middle East. I don't know for sure that that's true. It may well be. What I know is that because those people don't aren't, aren't in that position, well, I, I shouldn't say because, because that, that's a causality statement. What I know is the people who aren't in that position, the Muslims in the U.K. and the United States, they're different. Now, whether they're different because they're not in power or not is, is still up for question. But there's also a difference between the Muslims in the United States that I run into and the Muslims in the U.K. And if you notice, and, and in other places in Europe, and the difference seems to map to the power and population that they have, how willing they are to be forceful about trying to impose their ideas on others. And when they get to a spot where they have the total control, does it necessarily lead to this type of thing? I don't know. When I, I, I always have very mixed thing. feelings about Islam, um, especially with you know, Sam Harris and people who rail into Islam more like Ayan Hirsi Ali. She's a wonderful woman, uh, very intelligent, uh, very well-spoken and has great criticisms. But I have a problem with people who think that Islam is inherently more dangerous than other religions. Um, At the moment, Islam hasn't been brutalized by secularity the way that some religions have, like Christianity. But I think that there's a danger in saying that Islam is inherently more dangerous in suggesting that, for example, Christianity is less dangerous. It's not less dangerous philosophically. Right. It's not less dangerous ideologically. It is only less dangerous because of secular influence and because of the the to a large extent the loss of institutionalized power that they've had yeah and if we get that with islam i think things would actually be pretty similar and a, a big part of it is is perhaps uh geographic i am predisposed to being kind of cool with most muslims and not viewing islam as a bigger threat partially because the Islams that I've known are American Muslims and mm-hmm. they there's a a, uh, a scientific curiosity about it and I will say that just outright having I read the Quran a long time ago and I don't have a working knowledge mm-hmm. but the level of scientific fascination that was there and granted a lot of it's flawed but the fascination is there and I find that when I when I speak to Muslims that there is there's still a lot of denialism to an extent and there's an effort sure. to to uh, for, for apologetics but they want to make science and their religion coexist whereas with christianity they don't want them to coexist they yeah, just want, they want to any interference. deny yeah um so it, it's largely geographic but to say that it's inherently more dangerous to me, I think that is a dangerous statement because what's dangerous is having any ideology in which you think that you have a level of certainty and a level of morality that cannot be touched by what anybody else says. That's the fucking danger. Right. Yeah. Um, 
Wow, there's still a ton of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Quickly, uh, I need to to make an apology, uh, both with regard to a blog post I made um, and, and comments here, I believe, um, to John Chook from CFI because we actually met. He moderated the debate, and we had a conversation mm-hmm. beforehand. And I was, you know, when I met him, I was He's like, you know, the I'm one re- who wrote that Huffington Post thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and what he told me was that if I read his what he wrote and read into it a an accommodationist position that I was in error because he has not actually taken a position on this. And he, he's a little amused that the accommodationists are calling him a confrontationist and the confrontationists are calling him an accommodationist. By the way, uh, I, I, my plans are, John, everybody that I was on the panel with at uh, at this debate will eventually, hopefully, be a guest on nonprofits, and that, that's something we can discuss. But this accommodation versus confrontation uh, subject, which I don't need, I don't think anybody who listens to the show already knows where the hell I stand on this. We, I've talked uh-huh. about it a dozen times. Um, it's reared its ugly head again, um, in uh, part because at Skepticon. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm looking back at his article, and just from the first couple of paragraphs, I don't see how that's in error. But well, I don't either, but I'm willing to read it again and talk to him. When when I read it, um, I think now I I this is the only thing I've read from him, and I don't know John Shook. I've I this is the only knowledge I have of John Shook is from this article. I get the impression that it's just he's not a very good writer. Now it could be the case. That, All right. Well, thanks. That it's just misunderstood. No, but I I saw that in the article where so much for sending him this apology. No, no. I, so so showing won't be on the week that we have John on. I, I'm not necessarily trying to insult him. What I'm saying is, when I read it, it ostensibly said to me accommodationist, but there were some things about the structure that just seemed almost incongruent and now that you say that he he says he didn't intend that i'm wondering if maybe maybe he's not just a bad writer maybe this was just a bad piece like i said this is the only thing i've seen but i think it just could be a matter of structure and timing let's let's just say at a minimum that this piece was written in a way that was that that definitely gave mixed impressions which may have been part of his intent after talking to him what i can say is that after meeting john and talking to him I like him, and I can tell you on good authority, especially if the rest of that panel discussion gets posted online, that John does definitely, in his actions, does not fall into the accommodationist camp. Cool. And I, I would like to say, in the event that you know you recently met him, and so maybe he's not listened to the show much, I hate damn near everything. So when I say <laughs> it may be bad writing, that's true. I'm saying that in the way that I think. Damn near everything is bad writing. Ninety nine percent of the movies the and books was poor writing. Yeah, you know it's <laughs> it's not an insult coming you get, from me. You get what you pay for. So one of the things that's going on at Skepticon three um, is there actually is a panel discussion on accommodation versus confrontation, um, but and that was that should have been good. That's a panel that I would have loved yeah, to have great. been on. Um, but I'm I'm fairly confident um, since PZ is on the on the panel that my perspective will be fairly well represented. <laughs> yeah. Um, although perhaps not quite as forcefully as I would. Mm. Um, I'm also happy that in posting about this, I'm going to, I'm going to do something odd. I'm both going to um, applaud somebody for something and call them out for something else. So this is going to be, 
because um, I love Jen at Blaghag, and I love Emmett Meta, and I, there's a lot of the really good bloggers and, and people who are speaking on behalf of uh, of the group publicly, or the groups, I should say, publicly, um, that do great stuff, and none of us get stuff right all the time. I, <laughs> the number of times I get stuff wrong is just staggering sometimes, but... PZ wrote a piece where he said he had no idea he was stepping into controversy, um, and it's because Jeff Wagg, formerly of the JREF, wrote a long article basically bitching that three out of the 15 talks at Skepticon 3 are explicitly atheistic, or they're explicitly religious or whatever, mm-hmm. and that they should have called this Atheist Con instead of Skepticon. That's 20%? Yeah. yeah I mean, um, dude. Now, not to mention the fact that um, well, JT, who uh, organized this thing, wrote a response um, that I loved. Um, it, it, JT and I could definitely hang out um, <laughs> because uh, let me. I'll read a little excerpt uh, because it it sounds like something I would have exactly said. He quotes Jeff. Jeff says. To conflate atheism with skepticism dilutes atheism and destroys skepticism, and I fear the damage has already been done. I see a lot of good people leaving the skeptical community because they're uncomfortable with the tone and disappointed with, frankly, the lack of skepticism presented by many people. This is JT's response. Horseshit. To say that skepticism applies to some truth claims but not to others, that dilutes skepticism. And damage is being done to the movement? Oh, please. The skeptic atheist movement is stronger today than it's ever been, and all reliable polling confirms this. Jeff's own blog post shoots himself in the foot on this point. Um, Basically, JT lights into him and completely justified. Also, PZ chimes in, um, and uh, Hemet has just kind of posted about it and not said anything. But Jen over at Blackhag, uh, little had threw her true sense in, and uh, I loved it too. So quickly, at responding to what PZ said um, about skepticism necessarily applies to truth claims, and it is, and these people who are saying that Christianity and religions make where they don't make testable claims, skepticism has nothing to say. I've already pointed out how absolutely asinine this is. Mm-hmm. It, it, what, what skepticism has to say about claims that are untestable is they're untestable and therefore necessarily unbelievable. And the people who are advocating that you can believe this are fucking wrong and not being skeptical. I, I always like to quote that Douglas Adams interview where he said the reason that religious people are so sensitive about uh, exposing their religion to the same kind of criticism that all academic disciplines are, are expected to face as a matter of routine is because they don't stand up to them worth a damn. Yeah. So well, I, I, I like to really quickly throw in a, a both agreement and disagreement. I, I've not addressed accommodationism. Because I, I was I left before that whole clusterfuck happened, but I think everyone who has ever heard me say anything can assume my position of fuck accommodationism. But I, I did. I would a like for you. I would like to see that same mentality carried through even further. That and and I I, I think the JT disregards something that is tr- is true to an extent that. There is this tie between atheism and skepticism that I believe I believe that any skepticism properly applied leads to atheism. But that's a panel discussion that's going on as well. Yeah. But 
I come across so many ignorant fucking atheists. Yes. And I think that accommodationism doesn't just uh, doesn't just refer to accepting bullshit religious claims. I think there needs to be a much larger effort to if so, if someone's defending evolution with bad evidence Yes. You you fucking lay into him. He is not if someone says something that is just fucking wrong. Yep. That no, we're not apes. We came from we have we share a common ancestor from apes, but we're not apes. You lay into them because at that point if someone says that humans are not apes, we just share a common ancestor, it means that they have a belief and they heard something that ties into it and seems to support it, and they've latched onto it without thinking about it. Right. Those are the people that I love just going after and laying into like all hell. And I have heard so many shitty attempts, especially because atheism has become chic in the last six or seven years. So many atheists using shitty arguments, and there's nothing necessarily terribly new about that, but I'd like to see this this backlash against accommodationism extend to shitty atheism that is not skeptical. <laughs> yeah. So you know, be- now that I remember it, Casey mentioned that when he talked to you on the boat, you said that you thought that uh, atheists who don't defend themselves properly should be purged. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Um, Casey and I had an interesting argument where he was fucking wrong. <laughs> no, well then, Casey's welcome here. No, it was there was a question over what should be prioritized: uh, attacking theists because their worldview is inherently damaging, or correcting uh, atheists that were ignorant. And he and he's welcome to write in if I miss this and he's listening. But I'm he I I I cornered him so often into saying it just because I wanted to be very clear on this. He clearly stated a number of times every time I checked that if they hold a position that is congruent with ours, then they should be given leniency. And in my opinion, I think it's more important to go after atheists who aren't skeptics than it is to go after religious people because you can make more of a difference and I'm a big fan of clean your fucking backyard. Well, I don't know that I'd say so, more. So when you I, say, I think they're both priorities. Yeah, I, I say why pick one. I mean, so when you say, uh, you know, we, we should go after them, you're not saying tell them to get the hell out of our movement you're saying fix their other problems as well as encouraging them to be atheists educate them a bit of both um i i think we do quite a lot of that on the show because every time we go after let's rattle off the list 9-11 conspiracy theorists uh anti-vaxxers or homeschooling or uh, green or Patrick Green. Yeah. Um, and that's that's one of the things that I, that I highlighted in, in in my argument was that that we did an episode on foolish atheists is important and it's it's saying that no, you're not a fucking skeptic just because you're an atheist. Okay. Right. And doing a, a solid argument and trying to convince them and and trying to instill some semblance of skepticism that they might pursue. So I'm not saying purge in a sense of just get rid of them. I'm saying explain to them that they are not skeptics, but 
explaining it to them in such a way that they might consider it and might become skeptics. And I think we can make a hell of a lot of of, of uh, headway there compared to attacking religion, which I'm, I'm not saying that they're mutually exclusive, but I'm saying that anytime you get the opportunity to lay into an atheist who is not a skeptic, there's no excuse not to take it. Yeah. I think I'm I, with you. I, I, for the most part, I'm on, I'm on the same page. The thing is, is that the conversations almost in in many situations are going to take on a, a different tone, a different because you're you're in agreement, and then you're showing that they're wrong about why they're in agreement, and that's that's different from starting with a fundamental core disagreement. The com, the 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 type of conversation tends to go slightly different. Right. Well, I, I disagree to an extent. I think that the fundamental core is the disagreement. Um, like Bill Maher is a great example. Bill Maher, not a skeptic. No, no, no. Okay. He's an atheist. Uh, wait, hang on, I like hang some on. Of this stuff. Stop. This idea of not a skeptic is false. It's are they skeptical? Are they, are they applying that skepticism correctly to everything? And nobody's going to apply skepticism correctly to everything. The, the thing about being a skeptic is that you strive to do that. So I want to make, make sure that you know, we don't fall into the no true skeptic category because there are many things that um, atheists who I would not put in the good skeptic category um, or uh, would say that they don't apply their skepticism universally and, and equally um, or proportionally. Many of them are, in fact, skeptical about things, and they do have a, a basic understanding of skeptics, skepticism. They just haven't applied it to everything, much in the same way that I was a skeptic about everything except my well, religious I, I do want to draw a distinction between a skeptic and being skeptical. Bill Maher is skeptical of a lot of things. I don't consider him a skeptic because, to me, right. being a skeptic is the strive right. and the effort for universal application. And when someone it demonstrates for you where you are failing skepticism, yes. you're correct. Yeah. So and a I skeptic can be wrong. And Bill Maher has undoubtedly been explained why he's fucking wrong about medicine, about all this hoopla bullshit, woo-woo. You woo. know he's backed off from anti-vax. He has... Because of fucking ratings and because of popularity, the the way he's that it, it might be yeah. legitimate, but people have laid into him for ten fucking years uh-huh. on his alt medicine bullshit, and now all of a sudden that his ratings slide down just a little bit. He changes his position. I'm skeptical of that. It, if he's a skeptic, <laughs> if he has become a skeptic, and he hears that statement. He would applaud it, even right. if it's wrong. I, I, I've written the same thing in some of my discussions about the schism in, in that if one is to say skepticism is – there are people who say skepticism isn't a worldview um, or it isn't uh, a philosophical position. It absolutely is. If, you, if it is to mean anything, it means that you are endeavoring to apply skepticism correctly to everything. If you say, I'm a skeptic about everything except for this – you don't understand what skeptic what it means to be a skeptic. And right. I, w- I would like now that that, that I recall, but, when accommodation was was a big deal with Tam, it reminded me of when I was like twelve or thirteen. Um, I, I well, I've always been an atheist, and I considered myself a skeptic. When I was twelve or thirteen, I was dating this girl, and uh, she bought some ear candles. 
And most people oh, who are listening are boy. probably familiar with ear candles. And so I tried it, and it seemed to work. You know, the placebo effect uh-huh. was certainly at play because I, I was, I, I was, I had a rudimentary skepticism. You know, I did with the one ear, and then I waited a couple of days before the other just to see. But the placebo effect was sufficient that I, I did think I, I, I thought I found a difference, and. What happened, and I, I don't remember the specifics of it. I don't remember who it was. I had mentioned this around somebody, and they didn't say, "Well, no, you're 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 mistaken. This is placebo effect." They weren't kind. They said, "You <laughs> fucking moron! How can you call yourself a skeptic and believe in this bullshit?" They they fucking laid into me, and that stuck with me. And after the don't be a dick speech, after the research that has come up that has shown that especially among males, ridicule is effective, that is one of the most formative experiences of my life. That it was something so minor. Cool. Somebody could have been kind and corrected me on ear candles and I would have stopped believing in ear candles, but that's all that the effect would have been. Mm-hmm. Because he laid into me and just fucking sodomized <laughs> My at, my conception of skepticism, it changed the way I operated on everything. I've, since m- I've missed you so much. Um, I will point out, though, that, that it may not be placebo effect as much as it is confirmation bias because we have this kind of expectation that we've done something, so there's likely to be a result. And so we're expecting a result. Yeah, both are certainly at play. But getting, getting back to this because there's – wow – we're going to go way long. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, and Let's do it. and hope you like it, uh, because we already promised we'd talk about this. Uh, what, Jeff Wagon said that he feared the damage has already been done, and he's seeing people leave the skeptical community. PZ's comment was, and I say good riddance to those people, if these so-called good skeptics are going to abandon the movement because they're uncomfortable with people who openly question their superstitious beliefs, then they don't seem very committed, and their departure will be no loss. I think also think the the only hypothetical destruction of skepticism going on here is this bizarre insistence that we privilege certain weird notions as being outside the scope of skepticism. Uh, I couldn't possibly agree more. I just didn't agree so eloquently. What Jen wrote that I liked, um, she says, I'm going to take it one step further. Religion shouldn't just be included in skepticism. Religion is one of, if not the most important issues, issues people should be skeptical about. What affects people the most, believing in dowsing horoscopes, perpetuating ghost stories, searching for Bigfoot, or superstitious religious beliefs that are being held by the majority of the population and not only irrationally alter your behavior in almost all aspects of your life and affect the life of those around you, but result in the suffering and death of millions of people? Amen, sister. There you go. Yep. I, I, I heart Jen, um, and now I'm going to rip into Jen. No! <laughs> I... It's, I, I'm actually not going to rip into it. There's another subject that's been coming up. Um, and Beth and I had some rather lengthy talks about it. Um, a, a man by the name of Alom Shaha, I'm assuming I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, for The Guardian, the UK. And I think this may just have been in the online thing, but I'm not sure. Wrote an article. Um, 
about the accidental exclusion of non-white atheists. Oh, right, right. We, we've had a number of conversations on the show about, you know, why are there so few, for example, in the United States, black atheists or outspoken public black atheists? Why is it, why is it that a lot of the atheist groups tend to be white men? Uh-huh. Uh, and I always found it somewhat ironic that we would this question be directed to us. On the one hand, you know, we're the ones who are in a position, um, right. you know, to have, ex- have direct experience with it. Um, on the other hand, I'm like, go find the black atheists and fi- ask them. Go find the a- atheists and ask them, what is it about the atheist communities that's not connecting with them? Is, is this, in fact, cultural? Mm-hmm. Is this, are there problems? Are there things that the individual atheist communities can do to, com- to make this more uh, open? Inclusive. Yes, inclusive. Now, Right. I mean, I would absolutely say that that the intent is willing. I mean, uh, that atheists, like any atheist group, is always going around asking, where are the women? Why don't we have more women? Uh, and, uh, and at the same time, we're not really finding the solutions that much, except to the extent that, you know, we, like we've said before, our show has a pretty good density of of uh you know non-white males but still majority okay so here here's what's been going on with this and i i want to try to condense it and give my feedback on this because i i don't want to be misconstrued i want to i want this to be absolutely clear and i'll say from the outset um i think the atheist community of austin in particular is doing as much as we know how to do to make sure that we're inclusive. We're certainly there is, and nobody's accusing us or anyone else of, of intentional exclusion. I also point out that the various conventions that I go to, which I don't consider to so much be the atheist communities that we're talking about um, because these are special events. And so they are automatically limiting who can afford to go, who can take the time to go, you know, and the way our society is built, perhaps there aren't as many women um, because women tend to get, saddled with the responsibility of kids and things like that uh i don't know for sure what i've seen though is that at tam um the number of women and uh different ethnicities seems to be increasing in representation good both in the audience and on the podium Uh, i think the texas free thought convention was fairly outstanding in the number of women speakers and the number of speakers who people may not have been familiar with who still had something really good and interesting to say. And I think if you get a chance to go back to listen to that special nonprofits I did where I got a chance to talk um, to people like Marley Winnell and Abigail Smith and, and things like that, um, I think you'll see some of that. I had a great time. When I look at Skepticon 3, I see a, a fairly decent diversity amongst the speakers. I don't know what the attendance is like. I know they're having about 1,800 um, but I don't know what the diversity is there. I, as as someone who's in a position of leading an atheist community, am willing to do whatever it takes without fundamentally crippling the group to make sure that we are inclusive to everybody. There are, there are claims that, and I'm going to get into some of these real quick, that, well, some people don't want to show up at events where all people do is argue or, or, or bitch about religion. Okay. It, it, nobody's. I don't know that of anybody who's making events that are just this. I mean, even a debate isn't just that. But if you're showing up at an event um, and you're uncomfortable by that, 
one of the keys is to get more people in so that there's more things going on and more things to talk about. This article, and I want to, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read parts of it because there are key elements here that I want to address. He starts off by saying, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, P.Z. Myers, James Randi. If you're a regular CIF belief reader, you'll already have spotted the pattern. These are the names of arguably the most prominent, outspoken atheists and skeptics in the world. There's something else you should, uh, should notice. They're all white men. The atheist and skeptic movements are dominated by white men, and I think this is a problem. In a recent piece for the Guardian Science blog, I highlighted the lack of high-profile women scientists on TV, which is something that may be the case, but this other thing about not having enough women in the atheist movement, Jen has already shot down. Um, there are issues that black and Asian atheists face that white atheists do not. For example, greater pressure to adhere to the religion of the communities in which they live. I'll point out immediately, this is not a problem that the atheist community can or should solve. Right. If, if they are unwilling to come to atheist events because of pressure from their community, this isn't something we do to make them feel more included. The best thing we can possibly do is change the world around so that that the pressure dissipates. is less. I yeah. mean, we all have pressure from the community. They, they have more, but yeah, I mean... You know, we don't try to address that for ourselves. We just say, get over it for now. Well, I think it's, especially with the black community, it is substantially more. It is, you know, religiosity is very ingrained. But it's, it's. I don't know that it's necessarily not something that the atheist community can address in some way. Certainly not the, the uh, a major way, but in some way, maybe. But I will say I... I have spoken to black atheists and women atheists and, and you know, various minorities. And granted, not a sample set type of size. But when I speak to them, very often they feel uncomfortable with the, the degree to which the tokens are highlighted in the atheist movement. Yes. I've I'm, spoken to women who to are that. uncomfortable about Julia Sweeney's uh, or mm. – uh, Reginald Finley, and you know they appreciate their work, but when they're trotted out as examples of diversity, so it's kind of a thing of there might be work that can be done, but you can't work so hard that you further marginalize. Right, and I'm getting to that. I've been contacted by a number of Asian people who don't believe in God, but feel that they have to carry on the pretense of being a Muslim because they genuinely fear the consequences of uh, coming out would be unbearable. Um, that is also something that we can't really do much, if anything, about. Um, if, if people aren't comfortable coming out, they're not comfortable coming out. And there's nothing you can do about the group to make... I mean, it's not the right. group. You can't force them. It is not the group that is in keeping them from coming. It is this other part, this culture part of it, that's keeping them from coming. Um... There are issues that the white leader – these are the issues that the white leadership of the atheist and skeptic movement have largely ignored because they are not issues that concern them. Okay, fuck you. Yeah. Um, when, you say, when you say don't concern them, the only way that applies is in the way I just talked about, in that there, there are some issues that we cannot solve. But on the one hand, he's saying that we are unintentionally excluding these people. 
And this goes back to the, I remember I talked about on uh, Paul's on CNN now, or uh, Paul's on now, there was the why do atheists inspire such hatred? And I was talking about how you're asking the wrong question. The question should have been why is their hatred directed at atheists? Because that allows you to say that the atheists are responsible or that there's some other reason. In this instance, it isn't that atheist groups are intentionally or unintentionally excluding right. these minorities. It is that minorities are not uh, participating at a sufficient level in these atheist communities. What is the reason? Because that means that question allows us to say the reason is that these atheist groups are not doing what they should be doing um, or could be doing to be inclusive. Or it's because these individuals just are not going to feel comfortable there at this current time. Right. Well, I, I would say, uh, especially um, in, in my exchange with some people, like I, you brought up Paul Azan, uh, that Karen Hunter, you know, the uh, vapid cunt who said we should just shut up. Yeah. Um, I had a, a pretty lengthy exchange with her where she was very much of the opinion, how dare you compare this to civil rights? How dare you? And everything about it made it so ingrained that it is a... It's more of a uh, problem within some minority communities where uh, sort of a, a a strength of community and a togetherness, there's a fine line between that and homogeneity. Yeah. And especially with religion, that's a delicate balance. Yeah. So there's there's a whole bunch to get here to in these, and I'm gonna, I, I'm going to try and do a better job of of getting to it. Um, I've not written this to accuse anyone of being racist, but rather to plead with those who are in position to do something to stop turning a blind eye to this important issue. Um, he he mentions that. Um, Some of my Bangladeshi friends still find it awkward to socialize with my white friends, despite the fact they get on perfectly well with their white colleagues at work. There may, there are issues. There are grand issues um, where different people from different backgrounds and different cultures don't necessarily socialize well. That still does not put the onus on the atheist communities. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't more things that we can do. Right. I, I recognize that there is not the diversity in the atheist community that there is in the world. And I would like... To see a, see this improve, yeah, I recognize the is we don't know what those things are that we can do. Yes, and so we're back to the irony of them challenging um, and directing this towards the supposed white male leadership, um, which is nonsense. I'll point out because not only was our group founded by a woman, but American Atheist was founded by a woman. Freedom from Religion Foundation was founded by a woman. Um, yeah, there's there's plenty of women leadership, and Jen's already hit that. Jen, though, made a post saying that racial diversity in the atheist community is our problem. And she says, we're not saying we need to go knocking on doors of religious minorities and target them for atheist evangelizing. We're saying we want minorities who are already atheists to feel comfortable within our movement. I agree. Yeah. So one, how do we do it? One way to promote inclusivity is to invite minority speakers to conferences or local events or to encourage current minority members to consider more active leadership positions. I agree. Those are both valid. Um, I thought he was being overly polite. She's talking about the article I was just reading. Um, they're almost unanimously oblivious, stating that there's no such thing as an atheist movement or community. Okay, those people are useless. There is a an atheist community. Uh, there's at least one in Austin. 
Yeah, sure. Um, and it's cold. I'm, I'm, one I'm in Seattle, I know. Um, and, and I agree with her when she says, look, just because you're an atheist, it doesn't feel the need to be outspoken or talk to like-minded people doesn't mean we don't exist. We do. She says, but my main belief is with the comments that deal with rage, which have no excuse, and she calls out some people who are being yeah, ridiculous in their racism uh, or their dismissal of the issue. Then somebody made a comment that, that said, um, we, like there is a we in the atheist community, they're wrong there. Mm-hmm. should have second best speakers at events choose them solely on the color of their skin otherwise we might appear racist we should have second best speakers at events um and choose them solely on the basis of their gender otherwise we might appear sexist and jen says whoosh the assumption that my minority speakers are inherently second best now that is racist and second sexist this is identical to atheism's so-called women problem it's not that we lack worthy non-white atheists it's that we have plenty of wonderful non-white atheists who we forget about if you think of, if you think people this is the part where jen got it wrong because up till now i'm on board for the most part she says if you think that people like Ian Hersey Ali, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Mariam Namazi, Hamid Mehta, Aaron Shireen, Salman Rushdie, and Debbie Goddard are second rate, you are part of the problem. Okay. Here's why Jen got this wrong, and so yeah, wrong, it, it, it's shocking. She took second best and turned it into second rate. She also included people on the list, Ian Hersey Ali, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I would say that while the original article only referred to Hitchens, Harris, Dennett, P.Z. Myers, James Randi, um, I would say that Ian Hersey Lee is definitely top tier. I would say that Neil deGrasse Tyson is definitely top tier. And we know this because they're being invited to speak at these things. Um, whether or not Dan Barker is top tier, he is invited to speak a lot of those. I think in the atheist skeptic community, he would be there. But the fact of the matter is, Hemet Meta, as much as I like him, is in the second tier, at least, um, and a lot of those others are as well. He's about in our tier. So. And, and I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm third, fourth. Put me whenever tier down. The fact of the matter is, it's not. First of all, there are minorities, women, blacks, Asian, whatever, amongst these top tier individuals. But when you talk about Harris, Hitchens, Dawkins, as the premier, yes, they are all white men. And so what? It is not racist or sexist to identify the most popular, most productive speakers as top tier. Well, I I would also note, especially with Neil deGrasse Tyson, because that man, I, wow, um, that frequently someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson, his work is not an atheism. His work is in science and skepticism, and he's right. fucking brilliant, and he spreads his plate so thin that it's it's hard to include him in skeptical endeavors because he's in so much. Yeah. I mean, just right. wa- fucking watch Nova recently, and you will see the level of passion this man has. And that's sort of a dicey thing because I have seen instances where I felt – that a speaker was featured either because they were a minority or because they were a wo- woman. Yeah. Um, like, I I liked Julia Sweeney's One Woman Act, 
but I think that a lot of the praise for it did come from the fact that it was a woman. Yeah, here's uh, here's my problem. There are different tiers of speakers. There are different tiers of authors. But it's not like we need to have an event where there's Dawkins, Harrison, Higgins, bam. If you're putting together a big event, what you want is a tier one speaker and a bunch of others. And you want a diverse, and you want, a, you want the diversity to be based on the topics, their relevance, and how good that speaker is. Yeah. Not, we should not be considering in any way the gender. Because now we're approaching something more akin right. to... When we're making the selection, I'm not saying that we should be blind to this. Of course. I, I'm not implying that at all. Um, but we, we shouldn't start having uh, quotas of speakers. And I think generally we're improving. But here's my big, big, big problem. There is, when this subject comes up, and, and I take this personally because I'm the president of one of the most mm -hmm. active atheist communities on the planet. I am also a white male that recognizes how absolutely condescending it would be to go up to the black person who showed up at our event and say, oh, I'm so glad to see you. Can you tell me how we can get more black people right. at the events? What a dick move that would be. Instead, I take the position and that I just welcome anybody, and I'm glad they're there, and I want to do so irrespective of their gender or race or anything else. Mm -hmm. And I'm hopeful that this encourages them to come back. Now, the thing is, there are some in those minority categories that would appreciate some kind of special recognition that they want to know that, yes, in fact, you are welcome here, despite, you know, this obvious difference. And there are others that are going to be downright offended by that. What needs to happen to fix this problem is not for the white male heads of groups to start changing things or doing things or proselytizing or anything or even to go overboard in recognition of other minority groups when they show up what needs to happen is we need to figure out number one what reasons do people have for not attending and coming because some of those are insoluble some of those yeah. are i just have no interest in this but this how do you do that me. without right. being condescending and asking them no <laughs> what you do what you do is what i'm going to end up doing on the tv show and i may do this tomorrow uh-huh you put out a call to everybody who has been in that position where they have attended a meeting and not felt comfortable, and you get the reasons why. Mm. And then you go, because now you're getting data, and then you go and see, what, if anything, can we do about this? And what has to be done somewhere else? And it may be the case that there, there need to be a few brave souls amongst those individual groups who go through some period of discomfort in order to, to, to make these groups the sort of thing that are that are accessible to more people. What? But when one, one last thing, when they when they try to imply there's there was somebody who made a comment on on Jen's blog, basically saying, you know, well I I have no credentials at all, and I'm just you know the average uh, woman. Would anybody pay to come see me? Probably not. Right. Pro probably not. Maybe if if you've done something that you know gets you some recognition, or if you do something that strikes a chord with people. Wrote a book. But the fact of the matter is, you've got Janet Blaghag who comes up with Boobquake and and um, Rebecca Watson, and then there's this big long list of people who are actually doing stuff. I like what they do. I don't like this little thing of saying 
in this case, generally made one little bitty issue, which is saying you're part of the problem if you think some of these people are, are, are second rate. It's not that I think they're second rate. I'd love to listen to any one of them. It's about second tier. It's about draw power. It's about paying for the conference in some cases. And let's set aside the conferences as one thing and the smaller atheist communities as the other. And we need to figure out a way to identify what the actual problem is and how to go about solving it rather than assuming there's a problem that we need to solve. Right. Because that is that is going to appear condescending to some people and more off-putting. Right. And, and a, a big part of it is just finding that critical mass where it can be internal. Uh, like, and, and uh, as I understand, it's kind of fizzled, but the uh, ACA uh, ladies' night slash dark flow type thing that happened. Yeah. Uh, now, granted, it was... It, it, it was proposed <laughs> by a man, but it was based on the fact that we have a number of women who are who were very comfortable coming to these male-dominated events, but because there were rather few of them, it was just a matter of, of you know, hey, I don't get to see her very often because I only come one, once in a while, she only comes once in a while, and it was, you know, Lisa did an outstanding job of making it what she wanted it to be, of it being very internal. And these women, it wasn't a matter of, hey, we're women, we need something of our own. It was just a matter of, hey, there's only so many of us. Occasionally it's nice to hang out. Let's try it out. Uh, And, you know, we got a lot of email flack for that. Yeah. And a lot of shit from people who, frankly, like, out of all of it, I didn't hear a single halfway competent argument because if it's internal there's no problem you know if there are enough prominent black atheists that they decide to do an event for black atheists that would be really cool I'd love it. but to try to manufacture that before yes to, to, to try to do it for them to say well there aren't right. enough oh. of you guys so we need to come in as a great white hope and manufacture it <laughs> for right. you that is there's... ridiculous. And to lower any standard is absurd because someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson, no standard has been lowered for him. Yeah. He is top fucking tier as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And because he has been held to the same standard as everybody else, I think that's yeah. going to have a much more significant impact. You know, there could be, you know, uh, 20 prominent black atheist for a young black atheist who feels pressured to look to. But if they're there because they're black, that's not going to do much. But having one fucking Neil deGrasse Tyson, having one Reginald Finley, I mean, the when the standard is exactly the same and there is a certain critical mass, that to me matters much more. Yeah, here's Here's kind of the my my summary take on this and that there's a number of problems here there we recognize that there is that the atheist communities are not as diverse as the external population and we would like you know we realize that and nobody's actually accusing us of intentionally doing things to keep it this way it's not a white guy's conspiracy um but we i my thing is i recognize that there it's a sensitive subject and there's a lot of different takes on this number one you don't want to be uh, the great white hope who's coming in to fix things. Um, number, uh, the other thing is you're also talking about a group of people who in many cases are 
have no interest in and are sickened by or offended by or, or put off by the types of things that churches do to inspire this, both with regard to proselytizing and with regard to here we are at a meeting, let's stop and look around for new faces and make sure we greet everybody. <laughs> Welcome. We're so glad you came to our atheist thing. Um, I think I think there are people, I, it's a real problem, so I won't say they're tilting at windmills or anything, but I, I think um, they're looking at this as if this is something we need to solve rather than something that may be solved on its own. Um, you know, it's like we want it now. Um, right. It's hard enough to get anybody to come to atheist community things. Mm-hmm. It, once we get it solved where we have people who are willing to come and comfortable coming, I think and I would hope that we would begin to see diversity with regard to gender, race, everything. Well, I mean, part of it is also just sheer numeracy. When you consider what portion of the American public atheists are, yeah, and how how vastly we outnumber African Americans, for example, when you look at an atheist event, there you know look at the four horsemen. Yeah, there's not a black four horsemen, but when you look at just sheer proportions, it's easy to get yeah. lost in that where. When you're dealing with minorities within minorities within minorities, right. we're asking for our tiny share of that minority. Even like, even a perfectly fair representation is going to appear absent. At and, times. and we're trying to get them to associate right. not only their their other more minority status, but to associate with the least trusted minority status. <laughs> yeah, yep. I mean it's it's it, it's difficult, especially with ethnicity and gender, because they're obvious, but. How many crippled atheists do you know who are prominent? How many, you know, if you if you start looking at yeah. other, you know, minority subsets, it's very clear that you're going to most likely end up with a lot of white men. Right. Okay, I want to I want to actually close on this cuz we've gone for like a couple hours and some yeah. change and that doesn't always make for a good podcast. Um so let's let's try and close on something where I get to applaud somebody else. Um, Groovy. And this time I'm I'm going to applaud Pope Benedict. <laughs> what the hell did he do? Um, I got to try and be fair. Did he fall in a well? No, but he's become slightly less evil. The Pope oh, is getting boy, ready boy. to announce that the Catholic Church has determined that it's acceptable to use prophylactics when the sole intention is to reduce the risk of infection from AIDS. While he will restate the Whoa. Catholic Church's staunch objections to contraceptions because it believes it interferes with the creation of life, he will argue that using a condom to preserve life and avoid death can be a responsible act even outside marriage. Asked whether the Catholic Church is not fundamentally against the use of condoms, he replies... It, of course, does not see it as a real moral, real and moral solution. In certain cases where the intention is to reduce the risk of infection, it can nevertheless be a first step on the way to another more humane sexuality. Now, he's not there yet. Right. But after railing against him for the Catholic Church's position that has been killing people, mm-hmm. I am forced... Uh, by my own integrity to at least acknowledge that he has become less evil. Unless, of course, he's just doing this to distract from the pedophile. I, well, <laughs> there's certainly that. Damn, 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 damn. But here's the thing of, of 
whether you judge results versus reason, um, his decision might end up benefiting the greater good, but that doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. make it moral. I may as well say, if you're going to be a cannibal, make sure you cook the meat thoroughly. And that's essentially what he has said, is if you're going to sin, sure, there are more responsible ways and less responsible ways that you can do it. If you're, you're going to stab someone 57 times, yeah. don't do it while your hand has an open wound. I, and I, I see your point. I'm just not sure if I buy it. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't think that his position is moral, but I think the effect is for the greater good. You can do the good thing for a bad reason, and I, I think that this is here's most the thing likely is, the case of that. Here's the thing is, the good thing that he's doing, I don't see where it, it benefits his position. That's why I'm yeah, giving him credit. Point. Other, I don't know. Uh, other I, than making the church more popular after losing popularity. I mean, maybe he's pulling <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I think it's a PR that, move. that any change in strong-held doctrine, any but especially any controversial change would help the Catholic Church at this point. Anything they can do, it, it's sort of, you know, uh, like well, all the shit you saw in the last election. Any change demonstrates we're not the old regime. We're not what you're used to. We're not part of the problem. It doesn't matter what it was. If he had said the Eucharist is a fucking cracker, if he had said almost anything that broke somewhat from Catholic tradition, I think that would have helped. Catholicism. Right. And and I acknowledge all that. I'd just like to say that the Pope is less evil. In yeah. in in the results of what he's doing and the message that he's sending is a less evil message than it was before. In the way that the character of Dexter is a less evil <laughs> yeah. sociopathic murderer, sure. Than he was in season but one. You're you're talking yeah. about fucking, you know, Shades well, of little pitch steps. fucking black. Little steps. I, you know, yeah. the fact of the matter is, is that the Catholic doctrine, in opposition to contraception, if it has resulted in the death of millions. A small improvement in the attitude of the Pope is worth as much as a big improvement in the attitude of a few hundred Catholics. Yeah, Cthulhu can take. Yeah. Would it have been better? Would we credit Hitler if he had killed five million Jews? <laughs> Okay, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that's necessarily the way to spin this. Uh, well, I'm not saying that this is that, that type of case. I agree. I'm not saying that it applies. I'm just saying that... I, I agree I, that we are basically applauding him for no longer contributing... For, for, yeah. for, for no longer contributing to the death of people. But there's no denying that this is an improvement, and I'm acknowledging it. The Pope's still evil. Yeah. Well, I'm saying it, it definitely has benefits... But I wouldn't go so far as to saying that it is a mark of improvement on the part of the on the part of the Catholic Church and or on the part of Ratzinger. It has to be. No, it's an improvement. No, it depends on the rationale for doing it. No, it and doesn't. The timing. Of, yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Um, doing the right thing for mean, the wrong reason is not an improvement of the individual. I'm it not is talking an about of the result. No, no, no. Okay, fine then. We're talking about a position where somebody says something that has an impact on a number of people. And if you've been saying the wrong thing over and over and over again, and now you say something that's more closer to right, it is necessarily an improvement. It is an improvement to me of the result, not of the individual. 
Um, and on that cheerful note, <laughs> thanks everyone for listening to the nonprofits. <laughs> Cthulhu can step back into his position as the evilest creature now. That's good. Well, that was our show. <laughs> I hope there's a few atheists left listening who haven't clutched their pearls and fainted. If you got wobbly need listening to this one, next time bring a couch. I'm Dennis Lubay with Matt Delahunty. Bye bye. And Russell Glasser and Schilling. And we'll be back in a week with another non-accommodationist episode of The Nonprofits. Until then, we leave you with Brian Steeksma's I Am the Satellite. Yeah.